Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's David, and I'd like to share with you the first episode of a new show from my friend, colleague, and fellow podcaster, the great Trevor Noah. As I recently told you, The Axe Files is moving to a new podcast app called Luminary. The free Luminary app serves up the shows you already love, plus premium ad-free shows like mine and Trevor's and many more to add to your regular rotation. So here's an episode from Trevor's new show. I hope you'll enjoy it. And afterwards, go to luminarypodcast.com to learn more. From Luminary Media, this is On Second Thoughts with Trevor Noah. The very first episode. So thank you very much for listening. I'm Trevor Noah, joined today by my good friend, David Kibuka. Why do you laugh when I say good friend? No, I'm, I'm laughing ab- about the fact that I don't really know what a podcast is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fundamentally, it's radio. It is radio, isn't it? Yes. Except it's can- radio at your own time. Yes, and we can edit out anything that goes horribly wrong. Yes, and there's no traffic announcements, and there's no weather. It's radio without all the good parts. Okay, cool. That's, (laughs) well, (laughs) yes. So, this is a podcast that's really about us getting into the news that isn't happening. Just, you know, when you have a moment to breathe. My mom always used to say, don't shop when you are hungry, because you will buy the wrong things. And so, oftentimes, I feel the same way about the news. Don't get into conversations when they're too hot because you'll say the wrong things. What was she talking about when she told you this? My, you know when you go... Have you never gone shopping when you're hungry? I only go shopping when I'm hungry. But then you buy... That means you've only been buying the wrong things your whole life. You realize that? Yes. I buy a lot of wrong things. Yes, you do. Yes. In fact, I, like, I've lived with David and he is maybe the worst shopper I've ever come across. Like, If you say to David, go to... Can you just buy us some like, like essentials? then you'll you'll find that some people think that limes are essentials. <laughs> it's always like weird, like like it'll be like one one fruit. There'll be like one mango, two limes, a bunch of bananas, some water. You were amazed when I started to do that, huh? <laughs> like when I didn't buy a bunch of bananas when I just bought two. Yes. Because I was aware that there were only two people in. I th- I don't think that people should be eating more than one banana a week myself. You can, but it's just weird if you do. You see? So that's basically what this podcast is about. Okay, cool. One banana of the news a week. Yes. Oh, one of the saddest things in the news over the past few weeks has been the story about the burning down of Notre Dame, or the fact that Notre Dame burnt down, which was really sad. You were sad about this. I mean, these it's like a 1,000-year-old building. So uh, for it to go down in flames like that, and how do who set the fire? Well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, I don't think they've said anything about who set the fire. I heard, uh, I think it was Glenn Beck. He came out like in those, you know, those Fox News vibes. And he said that it was set by Islamists. But even if it was, we'll never find out. Oh, they okay. won't let us know. 
Do you think that the person who did set the fire, because there's someone who knows that they left their iron on, but they, you know, there's someone who's like, oh, there's someone who thinks, you know what I, I feel bad for? I feel bad for all the people who think that they might have caused the fire by mistake. And then it wasn't them. Yeah, because everyone, everyone, you know, when the, the thing like, like, okay, speaking from experience, I've burned a house down. Yes. And I think I know how I did it, but I will never be 100% certain. That took a left turn very quickly. But <laughs> but it's true though. Yes, I know. And the I'm... guilt, the guilt that all, oh, because none of those people want to come forward and say, hey, so I was smoking in the bathroom. Yeah. Or I, but I would like, we, we don't know. The thing is that you want to give your own punishment and with the, with Notre Dame, it's a big punishment. So you want to say, guys, I was smoking in the bathroom. Yes. I think I burned down Notre Dame. I'm willing to pay 3,000 euros. Yes. And then they're like, no, we want to kill you and your whole family. <laughs> then you're like, hey, ha, 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 it was a joke. It wasn't actually it wasn't me. me. It wasn't me. I just wanted to see what you guys were going to say. You know what was fascinating to me was how many people donated as quickly as they did. And then what was even more interesting was how many people were angry that the French were donating so quickly. Because I don't think people outside of France understood how important that building is to the French. So like a lot of people online were saying, you know, oh, there's, there's countries out there where people don't have water and there's people out there who are starving and how can the French raise half a billion dollars in the space of less than a week when, when all of this is, this is just for a building, it's just a building. And I was like, yeah, but it's, it's hard to explain to somebody. You know what it is? It's just like, it's in a weird way, it's just priorities. Yes. And also, the, uh, a building is a finite thing. You donate, they build the building. Because I'm assuming that the people wanted, you know, to the people to donate to world poverty and right. the, uh, those kind of situations, which we need to deal with. But there, sometimes you get the feeling that there is no end to world poverty. There is no end to s- certain things that are happening huh. and have been happening in your humanity. Whereas with Notre Dame, you just pay and then they build it and you get some sort of like uh, feeling of completion. That's say. an interesting idea. Yes. And also they like the place. I mean, it's like if the Statue of Liberty, if something happened to that, I'm right. sure it would be much easier to raise donations than uh, if you have the, like, let's help everybody in the third world kind of situation. Maybe that's how we fix problems in the world. We should make them all individual. And maybe it's, it should be like a rule. We all It's like a lottery and we all donate to the same thing at the same time and just try and finish it. Yes, that would be very helpful. No, I'm serious. That would yeah. be like an interesting way to donate. If we say, look, we know everything is happening at the same time. But we're only gonna do one, like just one thing right now. Yes. So we're all just gonna focus on Honduras. Like this is us. The, this this month or two months, the whole world, every single donation is gonna go to Honduras, and we're just gonna fix Honduras. Yes, that would be very helpful. Because like, if you look at anybody donating for anything, I would argue donations are higher when there's a specific cause where you know exactly what you're trying to fix. Like, so for instance, hurricane relief. When they go like, these people are homeless right now in Texas. People donate aggressively because they go, we're trying to get to this number. Yes. But when you say, please feed hungry people in Africa, then you're like, how many of them? Yes. It's and then like, like, yeah, just, just keep giving money. It's like working on a deadline. Yes. You, you all of a sudden get this like, uh, drive to do it. I mean, yesterday, speaking of hungry people in Africa, yesterday, firstly, I'm African. Uh, whoever's <laughs> listening to this. So I was walking in the street in New York yesterday and then this person came up to me and they said, can you please join Save a Child in Africa? So the first thing I think is like, I'm African and you're asking to save a child, which is like, are you asking, is this, because this could, 
in a weird way, this could come directly back to my family. Like my cousin is just like, hey, you send me money. (laughs) That could happen. But I know it won't happen, but it could sort of happen. And then he said, have you donated to save the children? Then I said, yes, I do donate to save the children. Then because I knew how much, it's $35 a month. I was like, it's $35 a month. So it wasn't some random and I paid every month. Right. And then he said, oh, do you get the, the letter from the child? Like, are you saving a specific child or are you just doing the general donation? Right. Then I was like, no, I'm doing the general donation. I'm not saving a specific child. Then that's when I actually thought of like saving someone in my own family. Then I was like, that's weird. Then I continued walking after fist bumping the guy. <laughs> so, so, I asked you what is a podcast and then you said we could just say what it is. What else? Um, was in the news. I'll tell you what it was. There's only one thing for me, like one of the most epic feel-good stories of the year thus far was Tiger Woods winning the Masters. What's his real name? Eldrick. I thought there was a trick question. I was like, I thought it was Tiger. No, no, it's not Tiger. How can you be called Tiger? Are you crazy? What are you talking about? Have you lost Crocodile Noah? Is that your, would we assume Crocodile Dundee to you? That's his real name. My friend, we come from a country... (laughs) Yes, I know. Where people have all types of names. Tiger. Yes. I have an uncle named Tiger. What yes. are you talking about? No, I agree. I agree with that. But I mean, a man of your stature to think that Tiger Woods' name is actually Tiger. I thought that... I was that, bitterly disappointed. No, because you know what I think sometimes? I think sometimes parents give their children names that force them to succeed. That's... I, I'm not even joking. Oh, okay. I thought the guy's name was Tiger. And I, in my head, I went... That is part of the reason you're so successful is because your father named you Tiger. Where do you go from there? Full disclosure, I've only known that Tiger Woods' name is not Tiger for the last eight hours or so. Wow. <laughs> wow, you said that. I genuinely thought it was Tiger Woods no, from he, the beginning. Yeah, but yeah I, so, I also thought so. So Tiger won. And I mean, for those who don't follow golf, one of the reasons this was the biggest story is because Tiger Woods used to win masters just for fun you know he was the golf guy and then after his scandals and after his injuries tiger woods as we knew him fell off i think it's been a good decade since he has won yes like you know you know what i love about tiger's victory is it feels like tiger's the only person who wins when nobody loses i know that sounds like a strange thing to say but you know like normally in sports if somebody wins, it means somebody else lost and other people lost. Like other people are like, oh, I was rooting for. So if the Patriots win, then there's a group of people who are happy. There's a huge group of people who are unhappy. And it's like it's Boston's win, it's the Patriots win, except if if Barcelona wins, Madrid fans are. But when Tiger wins, it feels like everybody wins. Is that- Golf wins, Tiger wins, you saw his kid wins. And black people everywhere want. Like, black I, people were just like, yeah, we, I didn't wa- we think want. That, I didn't think that black people want, actually. Are you being serious? No, I thought that I thought that this... I thought that Tiger's wins is allowing him to go back to being a white person. My man, Tiger Woods, when... Let me tell you something. Black people yes, I do know, not play those games. But in my head, the way I framed it, I was like, Tiger was, bla- was... Remember, Tiger was white when he was winning. Right. Winning, 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 white. Then he lost. And then they found hitting pe- with a golf club in the... Right, in right, right. The, the, Affairs, all of that. Yes. Then they said, go back to this black man is doing all of these things. <laughs> then, then Tiger was black with us. 
as a comrade. We, fo- we wanted to phone him for things, but we so saw So you him. thought that jacket was now him being accepted back yeah, into... Yeah, that's what I thought. That this, I thought that that was what he was working towards. He was like, this black life is too much for me. Are you going to edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, I was, I was genuinely, no. genuinely excited. Well, well, you know what? You know what? Let's let's do this because you and I both have opinions on Tiger Woods. Their opinions, sorry. Their opinions, but we're very lucky to be joined by a man who was part of a team that genuinely wrote one of the definitive Tiger Woods books. Right? It's many people consider it the seminal biography of Tiger Woods. So we're joined on second thought by Jeff Benedict, and uh, first and foremost, welcome to the show, Jeff. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here because Tiger Woods and his win has got everybody going off with their own opinions, their ideas. David and I will be sharing many of our uninformed opinions with you. But let's start with your reaction. As somebody who I think has lived more of Tiger Woods' life than many other human beings have, what did his win mean for you? That's an interesting question because when you do a biography on someone, you get pretty invested in right. their life and you try as best you can to get in their shoes. And when, when we got to the point in the biography where his life was coming apart yeah. in 2009 and 2010, the aftermath of that, uh, we knew that was coming when we started the book. But when you actually get there and you have to write those chapters, it's painful. I, I can remember getting in bed at night and saying to my wife, like, this was a horrible day. I mean, writing about this is not, it's not enjoyable or pleasurable at all. And uh, there was a point where I found myself as a biographer wanting him to get back on top, wanting him to regain what he once had and hopefully, you know, maybe be a little bit different personally than he'd been earlier in his life in the Mm -hmm. tour. And so for me to sit there and watch the, the last couple rounds on Sunday, it was a fabulous thing. I... I was rooting as much as the people that were sitting around. I was in a sports bar in Boston that day watching it and uh, surrounded by Celtics and Red Sox fans who were completely ignoring the Celtics and the Red Sox to watch Everybody him. was watching Tiger. And rooting for him, including people that probably don't know much about golf. And I'm one of those people. Right. So for me, it was, it was exhilarating, but it, even more so, it was just very satisfying to see him at 43 pull it all together, especially when he came off the course and I saw his mother with gray hair. Yes. She looks more like a grandmother now than a mother. Right. And Tiger's children were there. And it's it was a full circle moment from 22 years ago when he came off the green as a young man in 1997 and threw his arms around his father. Uh, this was, to me, it was full circle. It's interesting how you say people who don't even know about golf are watching the thing because... That's what I've always been fascinated about with Tiger Woods is people don't really watch the golf. They just watch Tiger. There's something about him that we all like. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know how it transcends golf, but it does. We just we just watch Tiger Woods. You know, like like I would watch the news and you know when they would be reporting on sports and they would go, oh, the, the whatever open is happening or Augusta or there's this or there's that. And they'd be like, Tiger Woods is in 50th place. And they wouldn't tell me who's in first. And they would go, Tiger Woods is in 30th place in this tournament. Oh, he's at 11th. He's here. He's... But it's always like, where's Tiger Woods? I think jokes aside, it's because he was like the first prominent black golfer and was and is one of the greatest golf, golf, golfers of all time. Right. So I think the combination of that make him the story that we're following. 
Yeah, but I'm saying it's 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 interesting though to what you were saying, Jeff, like how he like when when you were going through his life, did you ever find why and how he just became golf? Yeah, I think because of the way he was raised, there's a there's a really strange thing about his upbringing and that is I don't say that in a pejorative way, but strange in the sense that there's no other golfer, not Jack Nicklaus, not Arnold Palmer, not Phil Mickelson, that was groomed to be a golfer the way he was. Before he's in kindergarten, he's on TV with guys like Bob Hope and Jimmy Stewart, and he's performing. And when I say performing, at that time, it's more like a circus act than a yeah, golf yeah, tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He literally grew up that way in golf. So by the time he's a teenager, when he goes to uh, a clinic in Los Angeles that Jack Nicklaus was putting on in one of the most prestigious all-white golf clubs in L.A. Yes. When Tiger Woods is there as a student and Jack singles him out to do something in front of the rest of the group, all these parents, these rich white parents, are looking at this boy that's a little bit taller. He's He's got a little bit different colored skin, and Jack Nicholas is picking him out to show our kids something. But he's the same age as our kids, and he's that good. And Tiger feels that. Like, as a young teenager, you feel those eyes. Right. What I, what I find interesting about Tiger's journey is the, to your point, you know, like, we joke about it, but there's also an element of truth about, like, how you are playing to be a part of something. So you go, if Tiger wins, he wins, and then he's back in, like, to the, back in the world of whites. You know what I mean? And, and black people are just like, yeah, we're still rolling with you, but now we're even happier. But it, but it is interesting because like when you when you when you listen to Tiger's journey, there's that element of never really belonging anywhere, which is something I've always related to, on a different level. I mean, I I feel like Tiger's journey was was a little harder just because of where he grew up and how he grew up. But it is difficult where your identity is almost matched to your victory. I think about his first day of kindergarten that we were thinking about early on in the writing of the biography, like where do you begin? Right. The first day of kindergarten seemed like an interesting place to go, and we went there, and we, we found his kindergarten teacher. We found the classroom. We looked at how it was described, and she talked about how she had, I don't know, between 20 and 30 students. First day of school, you try to make kindergartners comfortable, try to make them feel at ease. Yes. And you take attendance in alphabetical order. And your last name is Woods. You're the last kid on the list. Right. And most kids, when you call their name, you know, Trevor Noah here, you know, right. you hand up. When you get to Tiger Woods, it's not Tiger, it's Eldrick Woods. It's an odd name. Mm -hmm. And you look different than everyone else in that class because they lived in a white neighborhood in Southern California. So he's got the odd name. He looks different than the other kids. And then there's one other thing, which is he's super shy because he has a speech impediment. He stutters. So he doesn't like to say here or anything. So he kind of just does this. And then at the end of the class, when all the students leave, it's kindergarten, so it's half day, he tugs on his teacher and says, you know, very quietly when no one's around, don't call me Eldrick, call me Tiger. And the teacher's like, okay. Wow. And then when they walk out of the class, because she walks him out to find his mom, his mom tells the teacher, don't call him Eldrick, call him Tiger. Why was Could I why just was interject that... here? Yes. The only reason this story is a bit strange is because the mom is the one who called him Eldrick. She named him Eldrick. And that's then... what I'm that's what I'm saying is like the like the why. I'm very confused about this. Did so was it like 
an inside-out thing? Did he not like Eldrick? And then he, where did Tiger come from? So Eldrick is a name that's an amalgamation of two other names, which are Earl. Uh huh. That's the beginning. E. Eldrick. Right. Is Earl, and Coltita, her name K. Right. It ends in K. So Eldrick is a name that really is. Oh wow. Very symbolic of what's actually about to happen to this boy. He is in the middle of two parents, and there is no one else that's going to get in there. It's the three of them. He's an only child. They never intended to call him Eldrick. It's his legal name. It's on his birth certificate. But when he was still in the hospital and had yet to come home, Earl declared he would be Tiger. And Tiger was a name that Earl had a, a, combat, a combat buddy in Vietnam, who was named, nicknamed Tiger. Right. And right. that's why he named his son that. It's it's interesting how much of Tiger's life we've been a part of. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, because there's not many athletes of, the, like, maybe because of my age, where I can remember their beginning. Oh, yes. And then think that I'm there for the end as well. Yes. Because I, I was there for the beginning of Tiger. I remember when he first won. You remember when he first won. Yes. That was like, because I mean, the one thing that was always fun is that like you'd always watch like black athletes move into different sports, yes. right? And so I remember like when I was a kid watching um, Yannick Noah with my mom and we we're like, ah, look at this guy. Look, this is just, you know what I mean? The black golfer. It's just, you, you get what I'm saying? You're just seeing yourselves in worlds that don't, don't exist. And then Tiger Woods came. And what was cool about Tiger Woods is I remember in school, we would run around and now we were all Tiger Woods. And it was literally, it was, it's not even a thing of like, you don't like the white people. It's just like for the first time you see a version of yourself. So you can be like, ah, I'm also the Tiger Woods. He was also excelling, which was very helpful. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the most important thing. From day one. Yes. Yes. We, like as, as black people, we, we are very, we have many, many people who are not hitting the ball well. I mean, yeah. that one we, we're very familiar with. Yes. The but, fact that he was so successful yes. made you um, appreciate him more, let's say that. And he had swag. I will say that. On the golf course, the guy was doing the, the, the fist. You know what I mean? That that running pump and the, you're like, ah, look at this. Yes. One thing I, I want to talk about is like the journey. So we talk about the win now. But the win, in many ways for me, only is what it is because of the downfall. Because Tiger used to win all the time. Right. But this win felt like a, it felt like a relief for people. Yes. When we talk about Tiger's Fall, I mean, you, you talk about it as one of the most painful periods when you're writing the book, when you're writing about the man's life. But, like, what did he go through during that period, and what did his family go through as well? Because always, people always talk about it from Tiger's side, but, I mean, can you imagine yeah. from his wife's side, from his family's side, everyone? It's just like it's a ball of shame. Shame's a, I mean, shame's a, a horrible word in it, but it's a totally appropriate word here. Um, I mean, nobody likes to be shamed, and people right. don't like to be publicly humiliated and embarrassed. And we've had more than our share of public figures get caught in infidelity or adultery scandals, right. politicians, uh, other athletes, whatever. I think what was uh, interesting to me to watch with him was the way he responded to it. First of all, it's hard to think of an infidelity scandal that matched the scale of Tigers. I mean, that was a yes. colossal problem. And and then the coverage of it was so enormous because he was on top of the world when it happened. Right. And so there was, 
an inordinate amount of publicity around it. He did something that you never see men do when caught in that situation, which was he owned up to it. And he did it in a very uh, a very public way. He, he held a press conference uh, a couple months afterwards, and he acknowledged uh, what he'd done. He didn't take questions, but he faced the cameras. Right. The hardest part about that, which people completely overlook, is who was sitting in the front row. Most of these guys, when they do this, they have their wife standing next to them, you know, as support. Right. Tiger didn't do that. He stood up alone, which I thought was fascinating, but his mother was in the front row. And to me, you got you have your wife and you have your mom. And in Tiger's case, having your mom there, I just think he showed to me a, a tremendous amount of courage. You know, you, a cynic would say, well, he had to do that. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have done nothing. But he did that, and then a month later, he returned at the Masters, and he did another press conference, and this time, he allowed journalists to ask anything they want. And he didn't duck questions. And I, to me, that was the beginning of a change. Because until that time, he had never faced the music on anything. Mm-hmm. He was a child prodigy who basically got his way his whole life because he was the best in the world at one thing. He, he was used to getting his way, and suddenly it wasn't like that. And that was the beginning of, uh, to me, a decade of the road to redemption. I mean, it's a long, rugged, brutal road. And was, he went, the, he did the road. Was, was the infidelity scandal part of the reason he fell off as a golfer? Or is that a misconception that non-golf watching people have? Because a lot of people have the opinion that that's when Tiger fell off. But then if you look at Tiger's record, it seems like he was struggling with injury. He was struggling with form. It had already started happening to him before that. Yeah, I mean, he he actually had a couple of really good years post the right, adultery right. scandal. But he never won a master. Uh, he never won a major, and he never got back on top as yes. a golfer. I think that, look, you cannot divorce the mental component of golf. I mean, golf is a very mental game. And he was always the master of the mental game. He was superior to every other golfer on the mental component of golf. When you combine that with his physical gifts, that's what made him the greatest. Got it. It was compromised after that. And then on top of that, he did start to experience the diminishment of his of his body. It started to break down, especially the back. And he had those series of, of surgeries. He was not the same guy physically after t- after the car accident as well. And I think between the two, we really saw the disintegration of Tiger Woods. Eventually, it got to the point where the physical problems were the overwhelming or overarching things that were keeping him from competing. And so uh, I think that the reason this win is so... It, it could be called the greatest comeback in the history of sports. That's not an overstatement because of how much he had to come back from. It wasn't just a guy who returned to the game. Like, Michael Jordan came back to basketball. Yes. There have been a lot of comebacks in sports, but this guy came back from, first of all, four back surgeries. I mean, come on. Find another athlete who's had four back surgeries and got to number one again. And then when you couple that with the personal stuff that we all watched, to me, it's it's the greatest comeback we've ever he, seen. He came and, back to society. And uh, Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy are not exactly... 
You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's not like us. yes. It's not like he came back to no field. Yeah. It's not like he came back and there was no competition. You know, I, that's the thing for me, because like the the one conversation everyone has around this is they go they go uh, you know Tiger came back and you know it's the comeback story and and then we ask ourselves as people we go we love bringing people down, but we enjoy bringing them up even more. And it, one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if it's just me is that it feels like we, as society at large, we enjoy being or feeling like we have a stake in your success. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I've noticed, like, if if, if somebody just comes out of nowhere and is successful, yeah, you people are like, well done, but there's a certain element of it's not ours. Then when we get to bring you down as society, we brought you down, Right? And now when you come back, we get to be the reason that you came back. So now we all have a personal investment in Tiger Woods, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of the, uh, like a lot of our lives are lived through the these like stars and uh, sports stars, celebrities and, and the like. And then that, we're emotionally invested in these people. So when Tiger was winning... A lot of the emotions that I had, even though I'm not an avid golf watcher, he was like, uh, he was like almost this black consciousness yes. kind of victory. Yeah. He was winning for the black man, even though he was just playing golf, whatever he was doing, you know. We superimpose what we think is happening. True. Then when he gets into the infidelity uh, problems, then my own morality comes and judges him. Then, you know, then be gone with you. Then after he, he be gone with you unless you can make a comeback. Then when he does make all of that effort, then I'm back because I would like, I want you to win because we have seen how much effort you've made and how high the bar is. Right. You would only be able to do it if you were really determined, you know, but, and so I think it's like, it's because we live through these people. It's interesting that you say the morality thing because I, I, look, I made jokes about the Tiger Woods situation when it happened, but I, I don't know if I'm an asshole for saying this, but I was... I felt like he was treated somewhat unfairly because I felt like he was not an outlier in golf. Do you get what I'm saying? The stories I've heard about like the golf community, the golfing community, the stories I've heard about all of the major tournaments and how many of the players are having their fun on the side and all the beautiful women that like I remember like reading stories about how at some at, at some golf tournaments there's a woman who's just in the golf cart with you who takes you around the course when you're learning it. And she's gorgeous, always. And it's like, I don't understand what the the purpose is. And they're like, oh, it's just how you learn the course. You know, you just... That's- but Tiger sold himself as the family-friendly golfer kind of... But did he? Well, I think his 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 endorsers did that. I mean, Nike and American Express and the different major corporations that supported Tiger... They definitely wanted a certain image. That image was crafted from the time he turned pro. Clean cut. It was very clean cut, very family. Which golf is not clean cut? Well, they, I mean, they all are, but he... No, but, the, but that's... No, no, genuinely, that's what I mean. I feel like golf in general is seen as the, the clean cut. I don't, like, I know, like, there's one guy who wears, like, the flashy pants. That guy's like the, whoa, he's the bad boy of golf. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, that's how, that's how clean cut I think of golf as. And then when the Tiger thing happened, I remember delving into this world and realizing that there was a lot more... He was a lot more 
a part of his world than we were led to believe. And I don't know if you came across any of that in your in your work, Jeff. It's just like, because it made it seem like Tiger was this weird outlier. See, I think he was an outlier. I think he's always been an outlier. And I think one of the reasons that he is different, this this idea that we live through our heroes, and, and, and that's very much the case in sports. I mean, there's no question. But the thing about Tiger was, he was almost like Ted Williams in the sense that he really never liked dealing with fans. He never enjoyed the media. He and he didn't have to. You know, Ted Williams was the greatest hitter of all time. He didn't have to be nice to fans. Got it. And Tiger was he had a reputation when he was in his prime, he had a reputation for not engaging with people. He 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 was in a bubble all the time. A lot of people didn't necessarily like him as an athlete, but they oh. what they did was they everybody could see he is the greatest. So you can admire his game, but not necessarily like him as an athlete. And I think there was also a lot of jealousy and resentment toward him. So when he was exposed publicly, I think privately there was a lot of people that didn't mind that. They even reveled in it to a degree that he got knocked off his pedestal. Then, though, what's interesting is when his personal problems became as public as they did, and some of the things that he had issues with, like Mm painkillers, well, Think about how many people rely on painkillers for right. medical reasons, and they become over-reliant on them. Suddenly, this is someone you can now relate to for the first time. When he was killing everybody on the PGA Tour, you can't relate to that because nobody can do that. And nobody can even think about becoming that guy. But now Tiger is much more human to all of us because we've seen some personal weaknesses and failures that, frankly, a lot of us have experienced in our own lives to one degree or another. He's much more relatable now. And that's what I think makes him more likable and makes people suddenly go, you know, I'd like to see that guy get up off the mat and do it again. It's the Rocky story. To get that. And also, just like every love song that there is. Yes. It's like most people are, have a mini comeback that they're trying to do in their life. Yes. If you listen to love songs, it's basically someone screaming that Tina has left him yes. and I'll get Tina back. Yes. And he asks, do you think I can get Tina back, Jeff? And I need you to say yes. I really need you to say yes, yeah. Jeff. And when I watch Tiger Woods, I'm like, if he can do that, uh, Tina, come on. Tina's back in your life. <laughs> yes. I feel like he, he also suffered for so long that all resentment and jealousy went out the window. Because you know sometimes you can suffer for, for not long enough, if that makes sense. So you go, Tiger is on top of the game for a decade, and then he falls off. But he only falls off for two seasons, then he's winning again. And people are like, yeah, I still don't like him. He cheated. I still don't like him. But it feels like we saw him like for so long. We saw him suffer for so long that he, he basically served his time in cancel culture. Yeah. I think there was, I remember we were actually writing the book. So research is done, you know, a couple years of research, and now we're in the writing phase. We were writing when he got arrested uh, and was found on the side of the road, basically yeah. unconscious in the middle of the night in Florida, behind the wheel of a running car, and had five different substances in his system. And when questioned by the police, literally didn't know where he was, thought he was in California. One of the things I think that was a turning point is all of those videotapes that were taken by the police when they were putting him through the DUI test on the side of the highway. Yes. And then when they had him in the jail, like to me, that should have never been made public. It was absolutely humiliating. It was 
it was unnecessarily, to me, uh, brutal. To see him in that state, the fact that the that the police allowed all that video to go out to the public, I, I mean, here I am, the biographer, and I'm thinking, what's the purpose of putting all that out on the Internet so we can watch him stumble around on the side of a road or in a jail cell? Like, what is that really accomplishing and helping? And I'm a journalist saying that. But I really thought that as I watched it. I remember Armin and I having a conversation on the phone about it. It's like... It almost feels like these guys have gone out of their way to embarrass him and to humiliate him, and it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, it's enough that we know he's been arrested and what he's been charged with and that they've released his mugshot. Yes. Do we really need to see 45 minutes of him inside the jail? Like, why do we need to see that? And I think it's it's because it's Tiger Woods. We saw all that. And, and people watching that— I don't know. I mean, you don't have a heart if you watch that and you don't feel some empathy for that because, okay, w- w- he's he's been exposed again and um, enough. For me, for me, I feel like, though, again, this this is a really controversial opinion, but maybe in the, in the in like the larger scheme of things, I feel like those police helped contribute to the, the narrative of this win. There's oh, no yeah, question. No, no doubt. No, do you get what I'm no, saying? D- no, like they, they, that they, was rock bottom. Yes, yes yeah. but that's what I mean is they 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 confirmed the rock bottom status. Yes. Because a lot of the time what happens in society is this. When somebody does something that we feel aggrieves us as a society, we want them to atone. We want them to pay the price in some way. And because it's not a criminal act, they don't go to prison. So we don't know if you've served your time or not. You know, we always talk about people being canceled in society. We go, you've been canceled. But then you don't see them getting canceled. You don't know where they've gone. You don't know what's happening to them. So it's like Louis C.K. Where's Louis C.K.? We don't know. Then all of a sudden he pops up at a comedy club and people are like, what the hell? What the hell? This guy's just going to pop up all of a sudden and no, carry on with no his life. There's no prison sentence given Exactly. To but with Tiger Woods, you now got to see him mugshot and you get to see him behind bars and you get to see him you get to see him falling around and put into a police car. And in a weird way, it felt like that was the 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 the, the sentence for what he did with the infidelity. Not in a it, weird way, in a real way. In a real way. Yeah, but I'm, yeah. you get what I'm saying? It's like, but I'm saying people jump time. And then now people were ready. Okay, we've seen you go to jail. Now when you're on the course, in our heads we're going, oh man, he served his time and oh, it's over for him. It's... I, I, I think you're onto it. And I think that the... I've written about a lot of athletes in my career who've had problems uh, with the law. And the thing that's always interested me about Tiger is the things that he was, quote unquote, exposed for were not violations of the law. I mean, he he didn't do that. He had personal problems and and everybody has them. The crime versus the scandal is like that element didn't match what we previously associate with many sports stars and their and, That's their, right. and their descent. And isn't it even more thrilling that um, like when you watch movies and things, you have like the hero's journey, you know, you do all this. Then you have the Greek tra- tragedy where it's like you have everything, then you lose everything, yes. then it just ends. Kind yes. of, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Right. And now we never get a chance like there's a fine moment where the person can turn the Greek tragedy into the hero's journey, which is what Tiger seems to have done. Because at that point, because I mean, I'm not a golf fan you know, in that way. Yes. But I, I, you did follow, I did follow Tiger Woods 
but when he was on the side of the road there, I was like, he's finished. Not that I wanted him to be finished. No, but, but he was finished. You were like, yes, that's it. He had all of this stuff and he had everything and yeah. he's lost everything now. And then at that moment, he decided, no, actually, I'm not, I haven't lost everything. And when he comes back, he's turned it into this wonderful hero's journey, which we have enjoyed this movie that has been playing for 20 years or so. Yes. You know, that kind of Game of Thrones that he's taking us through. I, I wonder one thing, and maybe you could answer this question, Jeff. What do you think drove him to carry on? Because it's one thing to be publicly humiliated, but it's another thing when you are completely out of your sport. I remember when Tiger didn't make the cut one year and it was like reported. He was out of the top thousand at some point. Yes, but that's what was. I'm saying. Yeah. Like why? Like that's one thing that fascinates me is, is like the, you have the money. When he was uh, 11, 12 years old, when he looked in the mirror at home in the aloneness of his bedroom, what he saw was a, a scrawny kid who wasn't tough. He went to his father and asked him to make him tough. And so his dad, who was a, you know, was a soldier um, and, and taught war techniques after he retired from the military, he's a serious guy, he applied to Tiger as a 12 and 13-year-old some incredibly rigorous mental training. He, when they would be alone on a golf course practicing, he would break his son down by calling him names that I, I won't say on your air. Um, they were racially charged. They were insensitive. They were tough names. Damn. And he, um, he had a code word that he gave Tiger that he could say if his dad had pushed him too far. I could say for it. Yes, and that word was enough. And in the whole time that he was going through this with his dad, doing this to him, breaking him down verbally, he never uttered the word enough. And I think when you want to figure out, like, why is he still doing this now? That was molded in him then. I think what he did with his dad in those early days of teenage years that's the thing that people don't understand about Tiger Woods, the tenacity, the grit that's in him. That was forged alone with his dad when he was 11, 12, 13 years wow. old. Wow. I was actually thinking on a serious note that I hope that this is what happens with global warming. What do you mean? Because we're, we're going to be down now soon. And you then know, you hope we come out on the other side. Yeah, because like animals and things, like the polar you know what's bear also funny must is... have been watching Tiger going like, I hope that we can make a comeback. <laughs> All 16 of us were left in the world, guys. You know, like because... This is a redemption story for yeah, us. Because it, it was such a huge redemption story for everyone. Anyone who is trying to make a comeback in any yes. way or form, Tiger, yeah, this because it was impossible. It was basically impossible and he managed to do it. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank it's, you, it was uh, a pleasure. Yeah, man, I, I, anyone who loves a story, never mind Tiger Woods, who loves a story, should read your book because it's truly, it's fascinating and it gives you insight into the man like like no other uh, other books can. Yes, and thank you to Tiger for making your book relevant. Yeah. Because if he hadn't won, then we'd be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it's just a book. Yeah. But, but now it's like, now what, it's a, like, what yes. a story. On Second Thoughts with Trevor Noah is presented by Luminary Media and produced by Prologue Projects. The podcast is produced by Lee Hernandez with editorial guidance by Leon Nafak 
and Andrew Parsons. Our audio engineer is Terence Bernardo. I'm Trevor Noah. My friend is David Kibuka. See you next week. Hey, it's David again. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us all each week on the Luminary Podcast app. Go to luminarypodcast.com for more information. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.